I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of hope. All in the name of hope. All in the name of Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host for today, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and we're here to open up yet another big old bag of bones, fresh off the spooky season. Uh, yes, you send in your questions, and spoiler alert, we've got your answers. Uh, but before we shake, rattle, and quite possibly roll, let's define who we is today. Uh, joining me from down the street, his name is Dan, but it ain't Caffrey. Who is it? This is Dan Joe Hill Flieger. Oh. Uh, I, couldn't really, I couldn't think of much. <laughs> um, I, I, I just read The Long Walk, uh, and I was trying to think of the main character. I think Ooh. it's Peter... Joe Hill was a fallback, but anyway, yeah, Peter, be yeah. Peter, Peter Longwalk, isn't it? Yeah, yeah yes, but, I think that's. <laughs> well, it'd be great if uh, King actually put Joe Hill in the Long Walk. It's just like dystopian, depressing novel. And it's like, hey, look, buddy, I put you in this really terrifying novel. Um, You're the first one that gets shot down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Joe, Joe went to tie his shoes. Boom. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, who's that voice over there? Uh, even further down the street, his name is Gerber, oh, but it ain't Justo. <laughs> this is Wolfman Mac Gerber, and oh, I've just oh. returned from Offworld, as oh. I'm currently in the middle of watching the international cut of Blade Runner. Oh, interesting. <laughs> How many cuts are there of Blade Runner? Are there about 20? Oh, God, there's at least five, <laughs> and yeah. um, this cut's interesting because it's only a few seconds longer. They've they've added a, a little bit of blood to a sequence and uh, some more gra- a little bit more graphic uh, fight scene. It, it seems like the most ridiculous cut to include on this uh, <laughs> Blu-ray. Yeah. But do you uh, have the, the case? Same, I'm watching it. That that old ca- the when it, the, the you know the you final know, cut came I out. I did. That was pre-Blu-ray, and I bought that case, and it came with some some really great uh, little trinkets. Um, oh, did it come with the the origami? It came with an origami, <sighs> albeit you know plastic uh, unicorn. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, it came with some some stills from the film. It came with some artwork, uh, a little a little model of the the spinner car. Oh, nice. Uh, 
you know, before we go, I don't have too much to do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, we do have I a lot to talk say, about. They added a few seconds uh, to the movie, and you added 10 minutes to the podcast. <laughs> hey, you know, I, it's science fiction month for me, and uh, I got to promote, you know? Neo November. That's a good idea. That's right. I like it. I like it. Well, although I had know, to change that name, I'm sorry, because <laughs> Neo November was some kind of yoga. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and I, like I'm, I'm looking through all these yoga posts, and then all of a sudden I see the poster for 1984's <laughs> Threads. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm I respect your uh, sci-fi November, as we're going to call it, I guess now. But uh, I, I should have done sci-fi instead. We're over here in the uh, the old Rothman household. We're doing th- thriller uh, November. So, been watching. Um, uh-huh. We're going to start watching a lot of De Palma's, a lot of uh, you know Fincher's, and Fincher works just because he's going to have a new movie out in a few weeks, uh, which is. Pretty great. I've uh, got to see a cut of it last night, but uh, a cut like I'm in fucking Hollywood or something like that. No, I saw a fucking screener of it, but uh, it was like, oh, it's great, David. Don't miss anything. Um, anyway, how was everyone's Halloween? Mac, what did you uh, what did you end up doing? You know, uh, for the old Halloween Rooney, uh, Christ, I don't think I did very much at all. I think I got together. Um, I watched. Halloween. I watched. I, I think I got. I think I want to say Justin came over during the day. Yeah. And maybe we watched something, but I might be wrong about that. I think I just took it easy because I kind of did stuff earlier in the weekend. Yeah. But uh, I certainly watched a lot of horror and uh, and had some brews and took a walk because I wanted to see that full moon. Oh yeah, that full moon is just something else. Uh, God, we I, we watched uh, Halloween because we did the commentary uh, with Halloweenies. Oh, which you can get at the Patreon, uh, you know, and we did that. And then it was really cool, too, because we watched it right as the sun was shifting. So it was literally like in parallel and in tandem with the movie. And then right after that, Sammy wanted to watch Halloween. So I was like, I was like, OK, uh, well, well, we'll put on Halloween again. So it was, it was like 180 minutes of this movie again and again. Um, but uh, love it. Lo- I love that movie. And yeah. then we watched uh, the sequel and then um that was it, I think. I, I don't because th- we watched Halloween three earlier that week. But Flieger, what did you do for uh, Halloween? Um, so all month I was trying to watch a ton of horror movies, uh, about half of which I haven't seen before. Most of them were pretty disappointing. Um, but on Halloween itself, watched Hell House LLC again. Love that movie because uh, I think that's one of the better horror movies to come out recently. And then uh, yeah. yeah, I went for a walk with the spooky Spotify playlist. Uh, oh, it was a beautiful oh. full moon. You know, they had the wind with the leaves. The kids it was were trick so treating. It was just nice. So I walked around for about an hour and just kind of took in some of the costumes. The first year I haven't dressed up in forever, though. Yeah, yeah. We I, I had to kind of ramshackle some things together, and because um, Sammy went all out, she had bought an, a trick or treat costume, so she wanted to go as Sam, and you know we we usually go as co- a couple costumes, but um, I opened up the closet and I saw that I had a skeleton costume. I just didn't even know it was there, and um, so I put that on and <laughs> I just, just did it. Ran- to have. It was, it was my brother you know what it was it was my brother's from college and he actually oh, wow. had left it for me when he left or whatever and i guess i just had taken it i didn't realize it and so i got to go as donnie darko which is great because i'm currently working on a oral history for donnie darko right yeah now. So i did that costume once great. too yeah the same I've thing heard we of, were, like, the hoodie. i've heard of skeletons in the closet but this is ridiculous yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, popcorn in the face too. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a fun uh, fun October. Got to hang out with uh, Mike Vanderbilt down at uh, the Rock Island Pub uh, House, and yeah, hadn't yeah. gone there, and, and I'd been promising for ages. And it was nice. It was it was really fun. And um, yeah, like Flieger said, it was windy and just a perfect October. And 
um one of the, one of the better halloweens in the sense that it just it just felt good to get the f- like fuck out of here and um mm-hmm. i just hadn't done that in a while so perfect october 2020 it was a perf- <laughs> yeah right jesus uh, but no, it, it, it definitely was a highlight of the year though i think just the weather especially here in chicago yeah. when it starts to change everything oh, gets crisp totally. crisp and crunchy i've been pissing off uh, sammy because uh every <laughs> every five minutes like on a sunday to pretty much yesterday i just kept like looking off in the distance and i'll be like can't believe October is over. And, um, and then she just like, would be like, God damn it. You're like saying it over and over again. And it just got, it got to the point where like, I'd be like sad and she couldn't tell if I was joking or not. At some point it became a bit, but before that I was genuinely depressed about it. Um, because I always get sad. I mean, ever since I was a little kid, like I hate November 1st. Like I, I don't like when it rolls around. I, even though we're still in fall and I still love Thanksgiving and yada, 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 there's something about, I, I just love I'm just half glass empty. God, that's how I am. I'm cynical. Like I, I, I get angry that it's over. And so like it was happening all last week, like even leading up to like Halloween, I was just like, oh, we only have four more days. Like, I see uh, Sammy you know. coming home and finding you like dead in the closet, like the ring, <laughs> like your face, like wearing skeleton costume. Yeah. Wearing exactly, the skeleton. Look, exactly. look, I found it. Um, well, look, you know, a lot we had some tricks and treats. Uh, we shared what we did. There was, we got a little business because um, we were supposed to have a dedicated episode to this, but uh, I'll be frank with all of you, uh, constant listeners, I got tired. Uh, we all got tired. We, we did a lot for Halloween, so we didn't have time to dedicate a whole episode, but I wanted to bring this up real quick. Uh, did anyone get to watch the Shudder's Creep Show Halloween special? Yes, yes. I did. I did. Oh, I so, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I was, I was surprised by this one because, you know, it's a grisly tale. The animation seems like it could have gone awry, but I thought it was more creep show than the majority of the creep show episodes we had in the first season. Uh, Mac, what did you what did you think about it? No, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was just it was a fun special. That's all you could ask for from the creep show. First of all, it was fun to see the creep doing illustrations <laughs> and tweeting. And uh, no, I'm not joking. It was really, it, I love I the creep. And so it's like, I almost want to see just like the day in the life of the creep, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was really happy with Survivor Type. Obviously, we know that's a Stephen King story, short story. I, the whole time, I was just like laughing to myself because I thought Kiefer Sutherland really left it all out there. I mean, he really goes yeah. all he goes out in. there for it. And I was just happy to see Kiefer doing horror again. Uh, and like, really investing in it you know i was just like yes yeah so um that's that was cool uh i'm i wasn't i like the idea of uh, joe hill's story um but for me it's like it's the technology thing where it becomes like i understand survivor type makes sense because like you have nothing else you have nothing to do but like write down your thoughts because maybe someone will find this yeah but the whole twitter aspect of like there's a point in that story at which you're not looking at your phone anymore. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, I don't care. I mean, maybe the last scene, sure. But like, there is a point where you're, you're, you're genuinely not tweeting. Th- exactly. Tweeting, tweeting, live tweeting, like actual horrific things happening in front of you. Like there's no, no way yeah. you got the phone. See, I, I thought it was pretty funny though. Like the idea of just being that so disaffected and like not being able to be in the moment where you're just complaining and, you know, just like, annoyed by your family on that trip. I mean, it's definitely over the top. Um, but I did like the animation style for both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. On the Game of Thrones DVDs, each season they release like these sort of like side stories and like mythologies of Game of Thrones. And it's a very similar style where it's almost like 
still frame animation that slightly moves. Um, but yeah, especially with survivor type, I thought it worked great because it's not like there's a whole lot of movement in that besides some birds flying and chopping but, limbs. And, yeah, and I think it, I think the strongest thing about it was that they weren't beholden. The animation wasn't beholden to like, you know, seeing the people talk. You know, like it was mm-hmm. just. It, it, it was just you know you're seeing what is being spoken about and i think that really worked in its favor because they were able to do some really cool imagery and things underneath some of this dialogue and just let the dialogue speak for itself and and for survivor type i think that's that's a, a huge huge win because uh the the text in that i think is so visceral and, and it is and, yeah and great and like the sound design really had to kind of flex its muscle there because you know that yeah. I, and I, we talked about, um, you know, we, we talked to Greg Nicotero uh, a couple weeks ago. And that was what I asked him. I was like, look, you love horror. I mean, you love gore. You love special effects. Like, were you kind of remiss about the fact that you couldn't do this for this grisly tale? Because it's probably like the best tale for someone that's in special effects. You know, and he was definitely upset. And he, he said that, you know, he would have loved to have done it. But, you know, it's a hard, it actually is a harder story than you think because. You know, you need the island. Um, and also, it's a one-man show. And I think that this actually really worked well um, for the animation aspect. And, you know, we, our friend Bill Hansen, I mentioned it multiple times in this podcast, uh, mm-hmm. he actually directed his own uh, Dollar Baby uh, Survivor type. So we And we screened that at our, uh, our uh, Castle Rock Festival back in 2018. And um, he did a great job on it. Um, and he even said, though, that, that there were struggles in that. I mean, you, you do only have one person, but it's trying to nail the realism of it of like, there's a lot you had to have to sell the audience on here, you know? And I think it's, I think Kiefer, the fact that he goes all in really kind of does a lot of the work that, you know, King has to do on the pages, you know, cause you only get 25 minutes or something like that. And like, obviously King has a lot more time to kind of sit with the character to show the desperation there. But I feel like you got that desperation from Kiefer right there. Um, and so I think the animation really did benefit them. And the fact that both stories were solitary and through the point of view of one person, um, there was a ubiquity to, you know, not a ubiquity. There was a cohesion to, uh, the two parables that made me feel like, God, that, yeah, like this really was like a strong episode of Creepshow. I was kind of, I was, I was shocked by it. I was, was genuinely shocked. Um, yeah, I wish that I almost wish they would like pivot to that a little more mm -hmm. and do more animated Creepshow stuff because I feel like you don't need a huge budget to do that really mm-hmm. well these days, you know, because we just have that kind of technology to, to turn out that, that animation on, you know, not, to, not, not downplaying people that animate. I mean, I think that's a lot, there's a ton of work that goes into oh, it. Oh God. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, I think it's much easier to animate some of the stuff that happens in survivor type than actually do it yeah, through CG wise. or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and also it's just visual, it's just more visually pleasing and and you you blatantly get the comic book aspect of it because it's it's in that world already. Yep. You know, you're doing animation. Uh and then and, and they also, both had great endings. Like that was the thing that like yeah. I had a problem with like with a lot of the first season of Creep Show is that like no one could stick to their endings. You know, it's so hard to do that E C comics ending where it's so cruel and yet funny and also grim at the same there's a you know a lot of tones that are being there and like to make the right perfect smoothie of those tones is really hard and like i felt like both of those stories did a really good job landing it like i wasn't crazy about the second one all the time but like the where it ended was fucking great um yeah i so. i you know again it, it was fine i I, yeah. I i i didn't i didn't love it but i thought it was really entertaining and i, yeah. I did like the ending yeah yeah well 
Let's open this bag. We got 19 questions. 19, you know, that's not a coincidence. That's a reference to uh, Stephen King. So, um, and that oh. makes sense. Be- yeah, <laughs> I mean, because you're listening to a Stephen King podcast, and, you know, what, what better way to honor uh, the master of horror himself uh, than to uh, just select 19 questions. So, we got questions from our Patreon.com slash the Barons. Join us if you uh, haven't already. Uh, and then we also... We have selections of our questions from uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So let's get into it. Uh, the first question from our Patreon from Jason E. Geis. He asks, King has written an episode of The X-Files and also floated the idea of I, Jason, the Friday the 13th story. What, quote-unquote, pop culture franchise would you like to see King tackle and why? Mac, take it. The Great British Bake Off. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because, A, you'd never see it coming. I, I would never peg him to do something like that and, and put a king twist on it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, and, and when I say this, I mean, I, want, I would like him to write a book about the Great British Bake Off and about <laughs> what happens when, uh, you know, like let's say it's Halloween week and mm. they've got to make like Halloween cakes and the cake's come alive or something, something crazy. Yeah. I don't know. But I think that, that's just something, something he's not done before. Uh, <laughs> and it's not in his wheelhouse. And, you know, you know what? Throw a detective in there if you want to go down the crime. The crime, the crime route alley, him. Steven. We know you love crime. Uh, I- <laughs> maybe he could be investigating the cake the cake murders. I could see like the episode two. It's like everyone's coming in their costumes. You got like the one quirky guy that comes in and it's just like, mm, look at me. Uh, and like, you know, you know, a couple of people are dressed up as generic costumes. And then it's like host comes in. Uh, well, I'm glad all you guys dressed up spooky because we have a spooky treat for you. And then it's like, we brought Stephen King. He comes out and he's like, hello. You know, it's Hi. like, dun, 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 and like, you know, like, That's Stephen King, like Paul, Paul goes to give the handshake and then his hand comes off and starts killing everybody. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, Flieger, what would you um, like? I will say, I love that X-Files episode, the Chinga. Yeah. It's really creepy. There's a yeah, scene yeah. in like a supermarket where people start like clawing their own eyes out. Oh, yeah. really stuck with me. Um, I had actually said, I'd like to see him do an episode of the boys. Yeah, uh, just wrapped its That's... second season. I know. I think Mike, you're like starting to watch it now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's it's it's. I've said this before, but it's the. Uh, I liked it better than the Watchmen reboot this year. Um, really? I think it just hits on themes. It 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 gets closer to what the themes and the comic Watchmen were than I yeah. think the oh, HBO okay, show okay. did. It actually comedy. does. I feel. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you want to make the argument for Watchmen being more topical and and you know saying commentary for right now, perfect. But like. I agree that, like, I do think The Boys gets at, like, the tone of the original. Yeah, because like, we're, we're kind of on, like, overload on comics, and now even there's sequels to Deadpool, which is making fun of the comic book. You know, yeah. we're already past that, but I think this, the take on The Boys is a very fresh take. And yeah. I think Stephen King could introduce, even if it's not a horror element, I think, without getting too into spoilers, but, like, the rise of more supervillains in the world, I would love to see him yeah. create some mythologies and backstories for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, who's the main? Who's the Michael Fassbender blonde guy? Homelander. Um, yeah, I feel like he would have fun with like writing a story for. Oh, him he's such him. a great villain, um, and he does some truly awful stuff in the series, yeah. and just as <laughs> yeah. the Superman stand-in, it's great. Well, it's funny that yeah. you mentioned the boys because uh, I would have uh, liked to have seen him write something for Supernatural, uh, which is Eric Kripke's uh, original show. Um, 
and which sucks because it's you know it's wrapped its uh, current run this this month actually we're gonna have an episode about it next week uh and uh so i would have loved to have seen him pen an episode and i'm sure i'm probably gonna talk about it soon because we got another question about it but uh i'd also hey you know maybe he could have done something for bosch what do you think uh, mac you wash bosch would he do oh my God, okay? he could easily do a oh. season of bosch and yeah. uh i would watch the hell out of that <laughs> yeah i love bosch Bosch yeah. is almost over. They, they, you I know, know. It, it's got its well, last. They got like eighteen of the out. books, I think. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we'll King can write Stephen the series King. finale. <laughs> no, King will be doing uh, uh, Young Bosch. Young Bosch. Oh my God, that'd be exciting. Um, who would you cast for Young Bosch? <laughs> who? Oh, oh Young Bosch. Yeah, right. Oh wow. Uh, his daughter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Oh, wow. um, I have think no about clue. that one. I'm like blank. Think about and, yeah, that. Think I'll about that think one. Think about it. And while you're thinking about it, why don't you read Anthony uh, Stokart's uh, next question? Anthony writes, "I'm obsessed with King's decision to switch Harold's candy bar of choice from Milky Way in the original version of The Stand to Payday in the expanded edition. Are there any minor, okay, meaningless details in King's works that the losers are obsessed with?" You know, it's funny because I laughed out loud thinking, of course there are. That's all we talk about. Yeah, that's all we talk about. But then the only things I could come up come up with off the top of my head were like major characters. <laughs> yeah. The fact that we bring up these things all the time. But the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head that's something that we bring up and that's also become a category of sorts is the sweet treat. Yeah. It's, it's briefly mentioned in the stand. Yeah. It's just that body that Larry comes across and the, uh, oh, the, and the, the painting is so yeah, fucking it's gross. The, it's like the that. weird tube neck painting of the corpse just bloated. Ugh. And, uh, we really, we really taken that and ran with it. <laughs> yeah. But can, yeah. can you guys think of any others that aren't like Tommy? <laughs> no, I mean the, the, the one that came to mind for me were like banner, like the attention to Bannerman's chili in the dead zone. Like he like goes into like a little more detail than needed for the chili i guess to kind of make the point that he's kind of a slob <laughs> but like it's weird that that's like you know no, that's Dead one of my favorite books but when i think about that book like behind some of the tragedy and some of the more horrifying moments i think of bannerman and his chili late at night like eating like this bowl of chili late at night while he's talking to like you know johnny about these grisly murders i don't know why that comes to mind all the time but you know here we are flieger what about you what, what, what um mine is the beverage choice of the kid in the stand because uh, he's slamming Coors Lights, and now those are everywhere. But in the 80s, you could only get those if you lived in the Colorado area. So my dad, we grew up in New York, and our neighbor was a truck driver. So my dad used to give him money, and when the guy would make runs, he would pick up Coors Light and bring it back to New York. Silver so Bullet, that, isn't it? Yeah, Silver Bullet, baby. But uh, but it's that's something that we take for granted now, but I think it's funny just the idea. So I'm picturing the kid just cruising around you know, the West, the Southwest, just picking up Coors Light every now and then. Because I think you had to keep it cold. That was the whole marketing. Mm -hmm. Like, you weren't allowed to have it at room temperature. Uh, so I thought that was a pretty cool minor detail. I, um, I, I've, I've often thought about, like, regional stuff that you could get. And, and, and it's funny because Caffrey recently just mentioned, this is to do with King, he tweeted us, like, or not tweeted, texted us, um, that he found, like, a chocolate payday, which we actually shared on socials oh, and whatnot. Right. But I have been looking everywhere for these chocolate paydays and I can't find them. And I think it's because, you know, he was in Pennsylvania at the time or like in New, Orleans, New England area, maybe um, Northeastern. 
And I think it's because they have different stuff over there. Like they only like, you know, the whole joke in Seinfeld with Drake's coffee cake, that's only in like the New York area. Like you can't get that elsewhere. Um, same thing with like tasty cakes at the Wawa. Um, so I love that regional stuff because it's, yeah. it, you know, adds some sort of singularity to it and, and some specialty to areas and stuff. But, uh, Caffrey's super into birch beer when we would visit his grandparents. It's a New Jersey kind of metro version of root beer, but made with a birch root. It's really good. I'd never heard of it until I was in that spot. Yeah, it, it's, I'm trying to think of what Chicago would have that's like really specific and unique to it, other than obviously. Uh, like, Gardenera. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Yeah, which is like pickled peppers that I had never so heard of good. it, but it's, it's yeah, they put like celery and peppers on sandwiches and it just gives like a crisp spiciness. Oh, That's so actually good. true. I remember when I was visiting down south um, and to Hell Zone where my uh, parents live, which is Florida, um, and I remember going to get a sandwich and saying, yeah, Gardnera, and like, you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was, I was like, oh yeah, it is specific to Chicago. And it, and it like saves your sandwiches. Like I, I know you hate yeah. Subway so much, Flieger, but like when you, when I have my Subway sandwiches, I got my, my Gardnera on there. It, it, it adds a little flavor. It gives a kick. Yeah. Um, uh, who's their spokesman again? Was it Jared or? Oh, Jared, anyway, uh, Jared Fogel, um, uh, American hero. No, I'm just joking. Um, oh, I've got it. <laughs> yeah. Rami Malek. Rami Malek would be a great young Bosch. Ooh, that would be a good one. Yeah. Like, I'm Maybe not going to make it easy for LA's underbelly. I'm not going to be making it easy for uh, um, a cake a cake murderer in this <laughs> Bosch's first outing. I think the Chinese mafia is going to find I'm not going to make it easy. Maybe at the end of the first episode, they could like you know play a uh, you know somebody to love or uh, you know Bohemian Rhapsody. You could like look at the screen and you know look over and give us a little wink because you know he played a uh, Oscar winner. He's an Oscar and winner, he, and he says, "I thought I thought solving this murder was was." Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Good, yeah, uh, he's a kill- he's a real killer queen over there. Um, uh, Flieger, take the next question from uh, a constant listener for a very long time, actually. Tim Vargalish. Am I saying that right? I think yep. it's Vargulish. Vargulish. Yeah. I'm going to say both are, both yes. are correct. <laughs> yeah, right? All, all men must serve. All men well, must for, serve. Well, for this our is, sake, it, you know, because he's talking about the, the, the season, it could be a Vargulish. It is Vargulish. Oh. I'll do that. Um, what candy do you think Steven's giving out to trick-or-treaters? That's a good one. I mean, payday is sort of the obvious that's, answer. But that's what I thought, yeah. I actually looked up, and I was trying to think if he would be giving out, like, things that he... I don't know. I, ACDC makes an edible that they sell <laughs> at shops. But I think Steven's sober now, so I don't see him giving kids uh, that. But I, I'd see him giving out the full-size candy bars. I think he knows that oh, that's yeah. such a thrill. So you full-size know, assortment of chocolate candy bars. I just recently happened up on the um, the the Dread Scroll. I came across an interview with Stephen King where he talked about how he hates Halloween. Yeah, and so I don't think he'd be giving anything out. If he, if anything, I think he'd be giving apples out with razors in them, like oh. in demons. That's kind of scary, actually. Toothbrushes, that... toothbrushes with razors, like prison. Yeah, that's oh god. Yeah, what was the uh, what was the worst thing that you ever got? trick-or-treating like that you just like were like what the fuck is this i got an expired coupon to mcdonald's once <laughs> it was like That's for free rough. ice cream but it was from two years expired <laughs> i used That's to a get trick i used no to get trade. those awful 
strange toffee caramel like they came in black and orange wrappers they were nondescript mm. they had no yeah i, oh, I just thought what the hell taffy. It, and my parents used to make me throw it away because it, any nondescript candies were were a, a no-no they were they went oh, bye-bye yeah, bye. yeah. Uh, my, if it seemed like it was like hand wrapped or something they were like nope yeah i always got excited for those because i felt like they were homemade and then my parents would be like no that's a no-go you're not having it even though they, I yeah. get you, I guarantee you, they were probably like the best treats ever. I think and I my, got like a caramelized apple once or something. And oh it yeah, just ruined, it just stuck to all the candy, you know. Yeah, oh. I my parents would go through for safety. They'd be like, "We need to check your candy," and then I found out they were stealing about twenty percent of the chocolates, which were my favorites, and that's like their yeah. tax. So I would actually sit and watch them while they inspected my candy going forward. Well, my dad was always uh, a real control freak about my weight um, just because I was a pretty overweight kid. And so I would come home with a huge bag of candy and he'd be like, well, you better choose two or three of your favorite pieces of candy and we'll save some for later. And then I found out later on that he just took the cat, the bag and threw it out. So um, <laughs> fun times. I, I guess the trigger was on me, but, uh, you know, the real <laughs> horror movie was in my house. Um Let's move on to the next. Oh, actually, yes, I agree. I, I think I think it would be paydays, but at the same time, I think uh, King would be concerned about the uh, the allergies, the the nuts. So um, I'm going to go with the full size candy bars because uh, before you did hate Halloween, the reason why he hated it was uh, because everyone would expect it a lot from him. So let's just say when he was passing out candy, he was going the full Nelson there. Uh, and Full Nelson is a great song uh, by Limp Biscuit off of Chocolate Starfish and Hot Dog Flavored Water. Yeah, uh, that doesn't do it for you. You can check out <laughs> Half Nelson, the film with Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Which is a really fun, feel-good movie. Um, anyway, uh, next question by Todd Seibert. Going the opposite direction of a common question, which of King's novels do you think would have worked better as a novella? I think Firestarter and Gerald's Game would be greatly improved by each being 200 pages max. Well, I think a lot of the uh, losers would disagree um, on uh, at least Gerald's game. Maybe not so much on Firestarter. I know Jen would have a problem with that, but um, I don't know if I would agree with that. I think Firestarter could be the same length, but just needs to take out a few characters. For me, I'm going with thinner. I think it, you know, you actually could go thinner, no pun intended. Actually, pun intended, because I really just wrote that. It should have been simple. It should have been a pulpy story for Skeleton Crew. It was released around the same time. It would have been a great longer story right after the mist maybe you take out a lot of the the sort of uh, the stereotypes in there for like uh was it the andrew dice clay that we joked around saying he was in that story but oh, yeah um joe montagna kills it as as the character on the movie but in the book it's it's just god awful um and a lot of the gianelli un- yeah or yeah gianelli i can never get, um, i can never get the, the pronunciation right but if they you know they slim that down in the backstory a little bit and you make it more of a novella and you keep the cruel ending. I think it works really well. Um, even though I liked, I like thinner, but what, what, what did you have Mac? I, I thought pretty hard. I mean, Firestarter came to mind because I felt like there was a little too much of the shop stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I felt like the first half is pretty strong actually. And then as soon as they just stay at the shop too long, but I think needful things actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really long and doesn't doesn't need to be, and it kind of becomes silly. And I think that's why. I I, I really like needful things, but I think that's why the movie doesn't work as much because it it kind of goes that more kind of goofy route with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a there's just a lot of back and forth that doesn't really need to be there at a certain point in that book. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. That's a hard one. I, it I, was. I, I, re- I was looking at the list of King books and I just thought, I don't know. I mean, I think you could, I think there's a little shaping up that can be done with a lot of them, but I don't mm-hmm. know about turning a full novel to a novella. I know it's a lot. It's a big transition for sure. Yeah. I, I think needful things definitely could be trimmed, but I don't think it would work as a novella. Um, but as I mentioned in the beginning, I've been trying to read all the Bachman books. So I read the long walk, which I loved. I read rage, which I really liked. Um, wait, really? Really? You're the, yeah, you're the yeah. only one. <laughs> Holy shit. That's, that's, that's I, actually I, pretty cool. Like, cause yeah, we really slammed that book. I, I, yeah, I, I remember listening to the episode, but I was just like, you know, I need to check these off. I want to become totally completist. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I just, I like the inner workings of a really sympathetic character. I thought, no, um, <laughs> anyway, but the one that I did not like. Our my, next question's from. No, wait, wait, <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't get on my bad side, mate. Um, I've actually, I just read road work. Oh, that one is awful. Yeah. That's like about 300 pages. I think that would have worked better as 110. We've got another question coming up where I talk about road work. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, I I just, road work's just, it doesn't, it needs to get there a lot sooner. And it's one of the first Bachman's I've read that I've really just been like, I just wanted to finish it just so I could say I finished it. That was my first detour on the Losers Club uh, when we were doing our full reread. Uh, I had read everything up to that point, and that was the first mm-hmm. one I got like 100 pages in. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this. And I jumped off the episode. Um, and then the I jumped off uh, the bridge. But no, um, <laughs> just the first a one fucking... I missed was Rage. Oh, yeah. yeah I, still it... haven't re- I still haven't read Rage. That was the oh, first nice. one I missed. Well, hey, it's it's worth. I, I think it's worth checking out. It's it's, I mean, it's a lot. Really I think it's better than road work. It's definitely better. Oh than yeah, road it's work. definitely better. It's not as good as <sighs> I long hope walk, so. but yeah. But it's long a really walk dark, is his best. The rage long is a really walks. dark. Like it, it remind me almost of like the grimness of Pet Cemetery because there's really nothing yes. redeeming about it. It's just it's just a painful thing to endure. But check it out. I think it's out of print. Long walk. Yeah, it's around. You can find it. But I think the long walk is it's great. One of his best. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, take uh, the next question from Adam. Adam Dietz writes, who is King's intentionally funniest character? I'm not talking about Holly Gibney saying poo-poo and pee-pee, which we'll get to that later because I've not read those books. <laughs> that's, that's beyond me. And he says, which characters have legitimate comedy chops? I I was really racking my brain on this. Me too. I, I genuinely though think I love the exchanges between Eddie Dean and Roland, yes. and I and yeah. I remember reading those and actually really laughing out loud. I think Eddie Dean is a solidly, uh, you know, comical uh, character. Comical character that that he and Roland have a great interplay, and I think that it just that to me uh is is like a a, a comedian i can i can get behind uh mm-hmm. rather than like richie tozer you know yeah yeah because i mean richie tozer is the obvious one because he's supposed to be the funnier one but he's not i mean, he, I it's mean like, finn wolfhard studio does a, 60 uh problem yeah, it really it's like is. oh this guy's supposed to be like a huge comedian but the comedy just like falls flat <laughs> no yeah it doesn't work yeah. it doesn't work I, I like eddie dean actually his comedy becomes weaponized mm-hmm in uh, like with in the Blaine the Mono situation, so oh, yeah, it's actually right. an asset. But yeah, I, I Eddie Dean. Uh, I would Same also here. add Flag to the list. I think I Flag did too. Is yeah, pretty funny. Um, mm. It's a very dark sense of humor, but it breaks up these moments, and it's something even more sick about him that he's always making these dumb little jokes. And then he has the smiley face pin. He makes them bag lunches when they land up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's start of book four. Good old Flag. Yeah. Yeah, I had I had uh, I had flag and I had Eddie. 
I put Larry Underwood. I thought he, I mean, I guess he's more charming than funny, Larry. but I still think he has some moments. Um, uh-huh. And uh-huh. I also put Teddy DeChamp. I think that if you're going to make a Richie Tozier that works, and I think it's more along the lines of like the Finn Wolfhard version of uh, Richie Tozier that we got in 2017's It, I think you go look back at Teddy DeChamp and like the, the first, you know, in the body. Um, and I think that yeah. is the Richie Tozer there. Um, but yeah, well, cool. there we go. Laugh Riot. I'll take the. You take the next one. Take the next one. Uh, Kaz Bate writes, what Stephen King merch or paraphernalia would you love to own if money were no object? For her, it would be, assuming it's a her, for her it would be one of the guitars made from the tree that features in Cujo, signed by Stevie himself. That's pretty cool. I've, yeah, that's a good choice. Um, I went with the sandalwood guns uh, from the film Idris's, just so I could load them with that rapid fire. That'd be cool. Um, <laughs> but also because I'm because that's real. <laughs> yeah, that's you know just mainly for that reason. But also because I'm, I think at this point it's actually safer to have some guns in the house. So I would love to have a couple oh sandalwoods. <laughs> Well, speaking of yeah. things that's safer to have in the house, I'd pick King's typewriter. <laughs> ah, that's a good one. That's a really good uh, one. I had a couple others here. I got uh, the original <laughs> rotting husk of the Cooge costume. <laughs> when it's covered in blood and like slob and everything. Oh, God. Because <laughs> it's just, they never touched it after the movie. They didn't uh. try to clean it or anything. Uh, we have to dig that up out of a landfill somewhere. Just like fucking Maine. smells the entire apartment. <laughs> just sitting there in this corner, just like fucking collecting flies. Uh, um, yeah. That's disgusting, Mac. We'd be like, hey, you guys want to come over? We'd be like, uh, can we not go to your house, man? <laughs> it smells like you, dead dog. You uh, you still got Cooge? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, He's in know, the I'm bed gonna, with I'm going to pull a, a Michael Jackson here and get the bones of Cujo. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Uh what else you got? Is that it? I had another one. What that would you was do, Really Mike? poor taste, oh. and uh, uh, you know, maybe I'll bring it up some some other time with with you guys. But okay, <laughs> it's going to remain a secret. Okay, okay. Well, for me, I love jackets, so I want the original jacket worn by Nicholson from The Shining. It was on sale a few years Ooh. ago. I think it sold for like seventy k. If I had Kanye money, I'd buy it. Um, I want the original the standard. Yeah, yeah. I want the. Hey, look. If you got Kanye money, you could run for president and act like an idiot. So you should write um, Kanye a letter and say, "Hey, I, 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 I att- tried. Yeah. To vote for you. <laughs> yeah. Would you buy me this jacket? Yeah. It seems yeah. like that's the kind of thing that he would actually no, do. No, but it would be competing with his own clothing line, so he probably wouldn't get yeah. it for you. Yeah. Maybe he could make it, design one, um, and then I could lie to him um, and say that I, I, I voted for him and, you know, not for democracy. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> the other thing I would want was the uh, the first manuscript that King had stowed away uh, for Pet Cemetery. I think that would be cool um, just to have that. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was a legend. I mean, it was something that he'd kept for years. Or, like, it would be neat to have that. Um, and then also, um, I want Molly the Thing of Evil. I want her. I want her. She should be my dog. And I think that uh, it's time that uh, Stephen... You consider her merch and paraphernalia? I want, I want Molly the Thing of Evil is, is part of the Stephen King lore. Um, and um, let's just say that... Uh, it's time. It's time to share the the wealth, Stephen. Uh, it's time for for us to have Molly. It's well, just, if we're breaking up his estate, I'll take the gates in front of his house too that have the bats on them. I yeah, think those are really cool. I got the the tattoo of the bat actually. It's on my little map over there. But Mike, I don't have Molly. I actually, I, I actually <laughs> want Mike's tattoo. So we're gonna carve that off his body. <laughs> oh and, no. Uh, <laughs> 
like the worst acting the worst acting uh anyway um Uh, luke willoughby oh willoughby that's a depressing episode of the twilight zone one of my favorites um he asks uh you could fix one of stephen king's bad endings which novel slash short story would you choose and what is your proposed new ending to that novel and short story I got to say, some of these did stump us. I, I for a while I had to sit at this one, and because we can't talk about Under the Dome because we're you know we're too far away from that, I'm going to go with Needful Things because I think the ending should have culminated very similar to how the film did. Um, in that, uh, mm-hmm. Pangborn, the town actually turns on Pangborn, and it doesn't become this you know David Copperfield uh, Statue of Liberty show um, on the streets Wait, of Castle you didn't Rock. Like the magic? Yeah, I I, I I think we <laughs> joked around in the episode that was like. The the you know magic from Mick Smiley from uh, the Ghostbusters soundtrack should have been playing when he starts please, fucking doing these. Just, please, oh god! <laughs> but you know if he do they, they they do the ending that was in you know um, the uh, the Heston film. Um, mm, mm. I think it could have been really cool to see like the town like getting angry and at him, and then Gaunt could become you know the Beetlejuice pasture the pastor that we talked about. So, you know, that, that's my ending um, that I would have changed. What about you, Dan? I actually had under the dome as well. I won't get into it, but it's one of those stories where I still love the book. I just, yeah. the ending was disappointing, but that's it's okay. A, it, I, it's I, a I, Russell Wilson. They, they just yeah. totally I can enjoy the journey. The he does have a super bowl mm. though. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, that's true. I guess, man, that's a tricky one. I don't like, I'm not the biggest fan of the hand of God in the stand. Um, I'm not oh, sure. Yeah, what yeah. I, I said the same thing, Dan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a little too. I, I think it's not as clever as it could be. But I don't. I'm an idiot, so I don't know how to fix that. Do you have any ideas? But how to why fix that, couldn't Mac? they just have My, it? Yeah, yeah, go for it, Mac. Go I it. something I brought up on the episode initially, and I received a lot of flack about it. Uh, <laughs> we should get a lot of flag about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> I think it would dumb. be cool if. Trash wasn't so much a villain, but more of like an obscure, mm-hmm. vagrant type character that is kind of, we keep going back to, but we don't ever know who his allegiance is towards. But you just assume, and the way that he's written, that he is one of Flag's minions because because he is homeless, because he has been institutionalized, because he is you know erratic. But then at the end, you, re, you know, and then we, we're painting it like that because of our societal, you know, uh, projections or whatever but then at the end have him actually be a force for good and he's he brings the nuke in undetected because people don't pay any attention to him and then he is he actually blows so it isn't in, in a way the hand of god but through through an unsuspecting uh uh character but That's, that would yeah, that would be changing like a lot obviously to get that ending but um i also had i mean did you, do you guys think that that is interesting. I think that's great. I mean, that's kind of how I, I think it has to be, the it has to be trash to, to set off the bomb. I don't know why they need the yeah. Hanagon God when you have a pretty murky character well, I anyway. I think like, it, it would also put a fun spin on the My Life for You. And yes. he's actually saying it not to flag, but you know what I mean? But it's one of those characters like Tom Cullen where mm-hmm. flag can't really quite understand or see because he's, because of his, his, his insanity. Mm-hmm. So he thinks he's allegiant to him. You know what I mean? Like, I also had an ending for Tommy Knockers because I think that is goes crazy. I think he's on the spaceship, 
<laughs> and the aliens come out with, you know, maize and uh, <laughs> they sit down for a meal <laughs> and it becomes King's Thanksgiving book. Oh, Lord. And uh, where they actually, they actually do get along. It was a big misunderstanding. And Guard uh, sits down for a, for a big old uh, alien Thanksgiving dinner be fun. on the spaceship. And <laughs> totally ignores all the people who were killed in the town earlier in the book. What if it ended with, like, it ended, he gets on the spaceship and it's like the movie Explorers. When uh, Joe Dante absolutely just ditches the entire, like, sanity of the film. And it becomes just like the abyss or something like that. I guess it was before the abyss. Can't, or I really right? can't remember the end of that movie. All I remember from that movie is like the building of the spaceship. Yes, it's the then, best part. And, yeah. Which is the best part. And then that was it Ethan Hawke's character. It like seemingly gets it on with like a female alien or, well, or no, it's alluded he, to. He, they become friends because it's like, oh, look, they're nice and funny. But then they like go like, you're destroying the world. And I mean, they don't say it, but they like show it. But they like the aliens yeah. look fucking stupid and it just doesn't they, they work. S- like look super googly. Yeah. They look like Greta, like gremlin or googly a gremlin actually. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You mean a gremlin whose whole gremlin point universe. is he looks stupid. <laughs> it's in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, well, look, um, you got to read the next one because I got to answer this one. I'm the only I'll, one I'll, here. I'll do this one for you, Mike. Okay. Emily Winter writes, I can't think of any smart questions like everyone else. So here's a dumb crossover question because I can't wait to hear Mike and or Jen. Sorry, I'm here. Talk about sorry, Supernatural. Jen. Supernatural goes another season. And does Stephen King, and does, Steve, uh, does a Stephen King episode, a la the Scooby-Doo episode minus the animation? What book or story do you slot Slam So many Dean particulars into? in this already. For my I money, <laughs> send them to Salem's Lot and bam, problem solved for that town. Mike, okay. your thoughts on Supernatural? So, I think you're the only yes. one who's watched it of the three of us. Yes. I've got, and, I've got one too. I'll do it after you, Mike. Okay. So first off, love this question, Emily. This is a great one. Um, <laughs> I, I thought long and hard about this. I, I actually spent a good hour coming up with this story. Um, so... I think it'd have to not be one book, but all of King's Dominion. And I think the idea would center around a murder at a King book launch signing in Maine with King starring in the episode. Um, And then the boys then kind of start slowly realizing, and by boys, I mean the Winchester brothers, uh, start realizing they're no longer in Maine, but in the fictional town of Castle Rock, sort of like in the Mouth of Madness. and then they they start working with uh, Pangborn, who could be either Scott Glenn or Rooker. Um, and I just throw out I'm not, I'm not, Ed Harris isn't coming back. There's no way this is not going to happen. But hey, they get Ed Harris, great, awesome. But who knows? So given the ties to Warner Brothers, though, I think the IP would be all for the taking. So you'd be able to do a ton of references and do a lot of like cool like allusions to all the movies and books and whatever. Um, so you'd have so much fun with it. And in the end, it turns out that King had been possessed by Metatron, who admits that King has always been one of his favorite authors and that he was simply just trying to clean up his stories. And uh, I think it would be a lot of fun. So, And as you know, uh, Metatron was uh, is, uh, played by Curtis Armstrong, so a classic 80s star. So a lot of fun. I really, after coming up with that idea, I realized how depressing it was that it's not going to actually happen because Supernatural is over, but you never know. They already came up with. Uh, they already. They've already been kicking around new episode ideas for a forthcoming reunion down the road. So you know, it's it's well within reach. 
But uh, when it just yeah. ended and they're already talking about doing a reunion. Well, because they don't want to get rid of it. They love this show so much. It's a fucking family. So they, they're just like, God, we, they, apparently they came up with an idea for an episode. And they're like, fuck, this would be so much fun. We never got to do it. Um, but anyway. Well, I'd like to see Sam and Dean enter the rock and roll heaven and never leave. <laughs> they oh never get out. Oh, my That's it. God. That's their end. It's a very quantum leap ending. <laughs> well, hey, funny they, that they you never mentioned go quantum. home. They never return. <laughs> That's crazy you mentioned quantum leap because... Jen texted me an idea. She couldn't make the episode tonight, but she told us that uh, she would want the quantum leap uh, uh, science to kind of uh, allow the um, the Winchester brothers to hop um, from story to story to uh, eventually get back into. Uh, oh, that would be fun. Time. Yeah. Be oh, fun, you know, speaking of quantum leap, did you guys watch that Stephen King episode of of Quantum Leap? Yeah. I didn't know he did one. He, no, I did he, not no, know he, he did. didn't write it. But it is it is Stephen King centric episode, uh, where essentially Sam hops into the body of someone who is a, a couple is creating like a haunted house that they do every year, and people start mysteriously dying around him, and oh, that's awesome. uh, and Stephen King is in it like his he is Stevie in it, and the big reveal at the end is that. He's got he's gotten all these ideas from Sam because Sam keeps mentioning, well, this is just like Christina, this is just like this, or uh, it's really fun, but it's actually That's got cool. a really good twist. Uh, it, it, yeah, if you haven't watched it, and Jen's a huge fan too, and I, I watched it uh, last month. It, I think you could find it on NBC. Ooh, uh, I want to find it. Yeah, that sounds yeah. So it's on awesome. NBC. It's not on Peacock yet for some reason, but it's on NBC.com. <laughs> you have to watch it with like fifteen commercials, but. It's worth it's worth it. It's really fun and it feels like Halloween, Mike. You'd really you'd really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I, lo- I first off, I I actually really love Scott Bakula, so um I would be uh, totally stoked. Um and the only Quantum Leap I've really seen were like maybe a few episodes when I was sick as a younger kid and when he uh co-starred in the Quantum Leap episode for uh It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is still oh, one of the funniest hilarious. episodes of all time. That is so good. That is a great great bit. <laughs> Uh, well, you know what's also a great bit and also hilarious is uh, Tiffany Ping's next question, which you're going to read, Mac. So go for I it. I am going to read because I have no answer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What are some of your favorite King references, parodies, spoofs that have appeared on South Park? And she goes on to name some, which y'all can name if one of these are not one of your favorites. Um, I haven't yeah. watched South Park in over a decade <laughs> at least. I know it's still, I've caught some things here and there. I know Dan, Dan's showing me stuff and I, I do think a lot of it is still very funny. I just, I just, it's just, it's kind of become Simpsons for me where it's like so many episodes. I feel like I can't just hop in and there's so many deep references to every single thing from prior yeah. episodes. That I just don't think I could even like pretend to enjoy it. I know that's probably a lie, but what do you, what do you guys have for it? You go first, Dan, because like I, I've, I fell off of South Park for the last couple of years. So yeah, well, mine actually goes to I think in the first season it's called Spooky Fish. Yes, it's a yeah. pet cemetery <laughs> kind of parody. Um, but they also the the Fred Gwynn mm-hmm. Judd uh, Crandall like he appears in like five or six episodes of the you know sometimes Dad is better. It's like an old man farmer. I think they call yeah. him. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's been I kind of a love hate with the newer seasons of South Park. I actually thought last season was good. When uh, Randy opens Tegarty Farms, but it is I think comparing it to the Simpsons newer seasons, like there's still some gems in there, but you have to look and really search. Um, I just missed the simplicity of, of it. That's my <laughs> thing. Was that 
I, I, I just love how irreverent it used to be. Like we, we talk about spooky fish and that was really big at the time because, you know, people weren't making those deep cut horror references at the time. Like nowadays it's just like, you know, it's low hanging fruit to have all these horror references left and right because we all love horror and it's gone mainstream yada, yada. And a, a lot of pop culture references are easier to find just because of like even Reddit culture and just all that stuff. But like back in like the late nineties and early two thousands, like when you saw something like, like the Fred Quinn character, when you saw like a Judd character pop up on South park, it was such a big deal. Cause it was like, Holy shit. Like, they know this thing that we probably all quoted to our, our friends like on the neighborhood and, and no one, you know, who would ever thought that like a fucking comedy show would ever, you know, reference it. Um, and I, and I'd still argue that was the case when they did a nightmare on FaceTime, you know, um, which is the shining parody with like Randy taking over the blockbuster. And then they have the original owner of the blockbuster there. And it's like Lloyd from the shining, like that, that just still sends me over the edge. And I fucking <laughs> love that. And like, I love that Randy's like pretty much wearing like the same thing that Jack Nicholson is. And he like, they show, they like literally do like shot for shot remake of the whole scene where he walks into the gold room. And it's just so fucking funny. And that type of stuff is great. Like when South park is just when they really earn their reference, I, I really love it. But, um, yeah, I mean, Tiffany even named a bunch, you know, like the yeah. the stand, the gluten-free Ebola. I didn't realize that. Um, the wacky, wacky molestation adventures, children of the corn. Yeah, I don't remember that one. I, I guess I have to, I'd have to revisit all these episodes, but, um, and then obviously but the dead we zone. have a list here because I, I will, I will seek these out now. Yeah. And I think they're all on HBO Max now, um, which is awesome. Like there's so many fucking episodes. Oh, point. wow. But uh, what a world we live in where you could watch every episode of The Simpsons and every episode of South Park with the, the click of your finger. It's fucking <laughs> wild. Joke. I used to have to tape them all on VHS and then find them. Um, no, and I think that goes to your point, Mike, too, though, about the deep cut horror references. Something about having to watch it or go to a video store or a movie theater to actually get the reference, whereas yeah. now it's so easy to just... What does Not that only, mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can even just like search it on Google and there'll be a Reddit post explaining every detail. So it, it is kind of a lost thing. So I wonder... There's got to be something esoteric in the future that people can still reference that only a select few will get. Yeah. Um, you know, I see some memes like that that are actually pretty funny, but I don't know for South Park how long they can keep referencing things that I know. they haven't already touched on or the Simpsons have Simpsons did it. Well, it's almost like the anti-humor thing, that, that movement that goes on where it's like we watch like I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson and it's like it's not pop culture references, but it's almost like that. All right. I get what you're trying to do here. Like there's like a subtext to it. <laughs> that almost does the same type of thing where it's like, you know, if you've been obsessed with like the Heideckers and the fielders and, and, and whatnot over the last few years, like there's a sort of arc to the comedy that kind of hits on things that might just kind of seem, Oh, that's wacky. Like to most people. But if you're watching it, you're like, okay, I, I get what they're, what they're doing here. Like it's almost like an inside baseball to it now. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. That, uh, anyway, um, take the next question from Wayne DeGoldy. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Do you think the Dart Tower would be completely different if King hadn't pushed out parts five, six, and seven all at once, but wrote and released three books seven to eight years between each one. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think, 100%. I think King, I think though, I, I think he thought he wasn't long for this world, and that's why he was like, I got to finish this this series, you know? But mm-hmm. um, joke's on him because he's still well alive and has written way 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 more books after that uh yeah. but i mean i think it, i think either way i think it still would work i think that they would be totally tonally different because as yeah. we all know his his uh interests shift constantly i think mm-hmm. but but if you look at at the gunslinger it's a drawing of the three i still i still i personally love both of those and they're completely different from each other so i yeah. think it could still absolutely work but i don't know if they would be um I don't know if it would feel as coherent as the the end does, but you know what? I would I would take a less coherent books, uh, you know, five, six, seven, than a, a coherent kind of mishmash. And I, look, I love the Dark Tower, but there's it's God's problems. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I, I I think that you look back at that first run of like I think like Gunslinger, which I'm not crazy about, but I get like especially when he went back and amended it. All the way up to, I would say wolves. I'd still keep wolves in there. I think I like wolves a lot. Um, yeah. I, I think there's a singularity. The song of Susanna. Well, I like Song of Susanna <laughs> for its brevity, but only because of its bre- mostly because of its brevity, and it keeps all the action in there. But like, look, <laughs> those two books, like especially the Dark Tower, like God, talk about like the perfect case of just like a blatant case of just throwing pasta on the wall. Like you're just like putting everything out there at that point, and like they just don't have the patience. And the sort of um, indentation, for lack of a better word, that the other books do. You know, the lived-in feel. It, it, it all like, feels... Uh, Carnival season two where they're like going to get <laughs> yeah. canceled. So they had to throw it all in in the last yeah. five episodes. It really does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would say that we, we kind of got a lesson from The Wind in the Keyhole. Because that came out eight years after The Dark Tower. And totally yes. it's very and, different. Uh, um, I love that. I, I think it's very good. Yeah. I, I yeah. wish he hadn't raced to put them out. And I say this as like a George R. R. Martin fan who, you know, I want to read the new Game of Thrones, but I also, I'd rather it be written well yeah. than just rushed out. So like I, I have patience yeah. for that. And I know Randall disagrees with me, but I still think he's going to put out more Dark Tower books. I think he's well, such a prolific I, you know, writer. If we get and stuff I think like, that when... we could see another one come out. Like no one expected to win through the keyhole. Yeah, well, I mean, if we, if we, we get, get more stuff like that, I would love yeah. like more stories well, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, what's stopping him from doing like what he did with like the Gunslinger or the Stand and going back and trying to like amend these latter books? I yeah, think, I think that's like the the series too was going to change, you know, before it was canceled, and even the movie. But I think 
you know, enough time passes, he'll write another book that incorporates some of the stuff from the film and the canceled series. I, I just think he's he's like no other writer in that he can put out four or five books a year and has done so his whole career, right? So why wouldn't he go back to the well that he's most famous for? I think he would uh, probably go back to it at some point. I don't know if he would tweak those books because in order to tweak them would mean that he was recognizing that they're less than. And, he already uh, has tweaked the gunslinger. I mean, he's already done it. Yeah, but that was because he he needed it to make sense with the rest of the series at that point because he wrote that when he was so young. But with those last three, I I, I do think we will get more like when when through the keyhole esque books and or side stories and things of that nature uh and i'm all about that because i I mean and and mike you haven't read that yet right i have not read when uh i needed a break from the dark tower after i finished it. (laughs) i waited so long to to read that after i finished the series and um i don't know for some reason i just didn't think it was going to be that good and I, i really ended up loving it i thought it was so cool yeah i'm excited to read that it's one. like a story I, within a story within a story it's, yeah. it's really interesting yeah i, I well, tend to do that also where like i think i won't like something so i'll put distance and then often i'm surprised yeah uh, that movie richard jewel i know i think i told you guys but I finally <laughs> you're like watched that. jonesing about jewel no richard dude, no, jewel no, you know no, it's not funny. that much into it but it was just it was one of those things where i was like i was convinced i would not like it and then i watched it and was like oh that was actually pretty good why did i wait so long yeah, so, yeah. i i yeah. started watching all, like a ton of clint eastwood movies either starred in or directed uh and richard jewel is like one of the only ones i haven't seen and <laughs> just because it's sitting <laughs> out there it's one of the only ones I, I, like. I feel the same way as you or i'm like uh, i just I, I don't think i'm gonna like this but i don't know what's the one with like uh cosner and he's like a, a robber and like the kid dresses as a casper hey, is it a perfect world perfect world love I that movie pretty, pretty strong love that i movie. just i just rewatched it recently so, yeah. you know I, I you know hey look i don't i don't love uh eastwood's politics all the time but uh you know Guy, guys made some solid flicks. See, that's yeah. all I like about him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God. <laughs> well, look, let's go to the next question. Um, read Damien's uh, Flieger. Damien. Damien Keeley. Uh, Damien Keeley. Probably too late, but I'll try anyway. My daughter is 12. She loves Stranger Things and reads a ton of books. I think she'll love King at some point. But what age do you think I could introduce her to his work and which to start with? I know I was 15 when I read Night Shift and it blew me away. Hmm. I actually now. read I read <laughs> yeah. Cujo in fifth grade and then took a long break. But I think Cujo's, it's not like a, well, I guess there's like an affair, but it's not like a super sexual book. Well, well. kind of there is because what the guy, the guy does in the affair, I mean, he like jerks off all over the bed and stuff. So it's like, I would the say. The kid's got to learn at some point. I, you I read know, Cujo at five? How bored no, were no, you in all those grade. Se- Oh, fifth grade. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not five. five. I mean, fifth grade. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, five no, years I, old. No, I skipped. I never really read advanced. Young Adult. Yeah, I was, I was reading Where's Waldo, <laughs> Baby's First Christmas, and Cujo. Cujo. Um, um, no, but I think, I would, I think a lot of us had a similar thing where we read Michael Crichton and just jumped yeah. into adult literature. Because I, I never really had a young adult phase. Like, I think I read one How Goosebumps old were book. you when you read those? In fifth grade, I must have been five because I skipped so many grades because I was so smart. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think you're right, though, because it was around – I was like around eight or nine when Jurassic Park came out. And I was around the time when I was like, okay, I want to read these big books that are sitting on my dad's you know, night shelf or whatever nightstand. But again, for this question, I mean, she loves Stranger Things. Yeah, start King now. If you're watching Stranger mm-hmm. Things, you can read King. Yeah. Yeah. And you it can just definitely depends. read Night Shift. I think Night Shift is such yeah. a great – 
it's the ultimate king taste test. It is. And yeah. if you if you like any of that, you can easily direct her to the, uh, another book that is in that vein. And I think that's I think Knight's just perfect. So I think you've mm-hmm. already got the, the you're on the right track already. Also, Eyes of the Dragon is written as a young adult. Um, it's just like a medieval fantasy, Eyes of the Dragon. Have you guys read that? Yeah, uh, I started kind of, it. It's not great. <laughs> oh, I, I actually really enjoy that, but I think a 12-year-old, that would be a fun adventure to go off on. That, I think 12 to 13 I, I, I think twelve to thirteen is a good age for King. I, and I think that especially if you are watching Stranger Things, like you can read Firestarter. It's not going to be great, and it, be, it might be a little dull, but I think the, the connections and the parallels to Stranger Things will be enough to get you through some of the more mundane moments of it. Um, I think that would be a good one. I, I think, although I want to say Carrie, I think Carrie is a little too adult for 12 13 i might wait a little maybe wait a little i mean i'm not like tipper gore here but like i think that like you know if you're worried about sexual content obviously some of those other books are on there i mean like you know the stand is probably not something that you want to read when you're you 12 13. Like, like salem's lot but salem's lot i think would be good i have that one down a, there's not yeah. a lot of like it's a haunted house story in that it's yeah it. and there's those kids in it and I think you can yeah. relate to that as a yeah, kind of like a Monster Squad esque. Yeah, I mean, era, I, well, you know? I gotta say, I think it's funny, and it's just like a little commentary that all of us immediately are like, "Well, what's the least sexual?" Because as Americans, we're overlooking all the violence, right? Which is the big yeah. criticism. Well, we're, like we're Americans are like, well, parent, "We're fine with violence," but, but we're, no, we're I know, specifically like, trying to tell a parent, "Hey, this is what you should suggest to your yeah. child." I mean, look, so I, I know, that's I know, the only reason like, why we're broken. To be fair, like, I mean, when I was by age ten, I was watching like fucking Exit to Eden and like you know, Dream On. So like I, yeah. I, I, I'm the worst person to ask for this, but I'm just you know thinking. Yeah. Exit to you Eden. Know. You're like, Dad, yeah. how come his dick made the gong go? <laughs> how come Dan Aykroyd got a yeah. boner and made the gong noise? I was like, I'm turned on by Rosie O'Donnell and Dan Aykroyd. What was wrong with me, Dad? Um, but um, okay. anyway, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, all right. Well, let's. Uh, oh God, here. Mac, you read this next question because this is long, this is a long question and it's a very important question. question. Sean Underwood writes, uh, um, I've always been... Lar- in- related to Larry Underwood. Uh, probably. Or Frank. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sean writes, I've always been into the arts, fine arts mostly, but I enjoy trying new mediums. The past three years or so, I've been reading regularly with some help from you guys. And I decided that I wanted to give writing a shot. Uh, ultimately, um, they were shot down by a friend of theirs who they shared some writing with. Um, they're saying, since most of you guys write professionally, do you have any tips for getting writing help? Places where people could potentially view your work and comment on it without just being an ass about it. Tools that helped you when you first started out. Honestly, anything would be welcome. I really appreciate it. Personally, I'm not a great writer, so I'm going to go first. I would say read, 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 read. Take note of what you enjoy. I I personally think that classes are overrated, but I think something I know I fail at hugely is grammar. And that is something that like all of my writer friends really come down on me hard about all the time in our text threads. And I will say, if you can brush up on your grammar, that's a great place to start, honestly. Because yeah. if you have that down, it, it, it makes everything so much easier. And also, continue to share your work. I mean, look, you have to be willing to kill your babies. If if your friends don't like your stuff, okay, keep writing. You just have to keep mm-hmm. writing, keep putting stuff out. You cannot let people bring you down. I knew a writer that came up here to Chicago who I personally thought was an awful, awful writer. 
they were they got so many bad reviews up here that didn't phase them they ended up moving out to la now they're writing for some television show it doesn't matter if you keep trying your hardest and you keep putting stuff out there no matter how many times you get turned down something will come of it and hopefully you'll become a better writer in the process and not just someone who's unflinching but uh yeah. what, what do you think mike I mean, I'm kind of a Debbie Downer when it comes to writing. I, for me, it's writing is I'm glad the I went first. I, I'm glad you did go first. And I agree. I hundred percent agree. You need to read. And it's something that most writers will stress is that you got to read, read, read. It's the same way with, you know, you got to practice and practicing is reading. So, but for me, it, I will say first and foremost, like writing is the worst thing I ever fell in love with because I, I think it's torturous of an experience than mostly anyone ever likes to admit you know, people always say, oh, writing's hard, but they don't tell you like that it's it 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 sends you down existential dreads, you know, levels of dread that is just awful. Um, so for me, it's it's really fun, um, particularly writing stories. You know, I, I find the the communal aspect of it to be just really arduous um, and if not downright pretentious. I, I think that one of the things I really related to with King, um, we, especially for starting the podcast, which is the, the kind of highbrow snobbery of academia. Um, you know, growing, going into college, I went to, you know, I studied creative writing in English and in undergrad and in masters. And, uh, you know, I was slammed for writing genre stuff and, and, you know, which infuriated me because everyone I was surrounded by, was like trying to write some fucking twist on Faulkner and Franzen. And it was driving me nuts. I was like, I don't want to write this stuff. I don't want to sit here and be like, you know, oh, I'm in a southern town and I'm learning some fucking lesson that no one really learns with just one thing that happens to one or whatever. It just I, it bothered me. So, you know, for me, it's what Mac already said. It's just like I, I think classes are bullshit when it comes to storytelling. Find a circle of friends that you can trust. Like you, I feel like you already did. Just trust them and, you know, know your, you know, find your kind and and evolve your relaying because that's that's the only way I could look at it, you know. Um and that's kind of how I did it. And, you know, if you want to go and learn technical media writing and grammatical writing and a lot of the stuff you're writing, like definitely get into school for it. But if you're going to school to try to find a way to tell stories, like I think it's a waste of money. I I'd regret doing it. So um, <laughs> anyway, on yeah, yeah, on that um, note. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, do you have any ideas? Yeah. I also have, I have kind of a little bit of a different background. I started creative writing with like plays. Um, did creative writing in college and some journalism. Um, and then I went to law school, which is a very technical, um, extreme focus on the grammar um, and not the most exciting kind of writing. But with all of them, you have to be willing to hear what other people say and not take it personally. Um, what we would do in the classes is you would give the stories over to other people and you sat there in silence while they critiqued it. And the most annoying thing is the person who stands up and it's like, well, what I was trying to say there, it's like, well, then you should have said it there, right? So if it didn't come across in your head, you know what you're trying to say, but your audience doesn't, that just means you need to go back to the drawing board. You know, nobody hits a three-pointer the first time they put it up. But if you just continually throw the ball, throw the ball, watch other people play, you get better and it becomes more of a reflex. Uh, you know, I've been on projects with Mike and Mac for writing where there was a very quick turnaround and it wasn't even necessarily a topic that we were super interested in, but because we had that reflex, we were able to get it out, get it on paper, communicate our ideas yeah. clearly. Um, it's just like anything else. It takes a ton of practice. And I think 
Obviously, I'd recommend On Writing by Stephen King in terms of the creative, but Elements of Style is a very short yeah. read. It's like 90 pages, and that is the... I still reference it. I have it since high school, and yeah, it's yeah. dog-eared, but it gives you the best advice for grammar, writing, and communicating. Um, I, I had a professor, just one thing to add, that you know, if people agree or disagree with their writing, it doesn't really matter, because they say, even if you're clearly wrong, you're wrong clearly. Make sure you're communicating what you're trying to get across. And if, if you can communicate that, it doesn't matter if people agree with it or not. And just keep on going. So, yeah, there you go. The end. The end. Question mark. I have impression the, the best answers. <laughs> the best answers from all three of us tonight on a very serious question here yeah. today at the Bag of Bones. <laughs> well, I saw that question and it came in late. And I admittedly was just like, because uh, I, I just... I don't know. Fiction writing has has been a thorn on my side, and um, if you couldn't tell, um, you know I'm very venomous about it. But I, I don't know. I just get it's the idea of sitting down and writing a story just seems like a nightmare to me. Like I, you know, it's it's I also just, interesting though because like I, I've I haven't written as many. I used to write a lot of short stories and things like that growing up, but the the, the only things that I've really written up here, I've written written some spec scripts. For Doctor Who, Justin and I wrote like a whole season of Doctor Who, and that actually, we ended up sending that to a friend of mine who wanted us to write a couple of, eventually write a couple of plays, and I so I've written a few plays, uh, and that which is a totally different beast, but again went through many drafts. So it's like, I think if you just you just got to keep putting stuff out there. The problem is is like usually people want to write something they're really passionate about right away, and it's the first thing. And it's usually going to get torn apart, and that's a really hard thing to do, yeah. Because uh, no one wants to do that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like like Dan said, you know, the three point analogies is great. You just got to keep putting it up there, and yeah. you know, and if you love it, it it won't it will not be work for you. Uh, but like Mike said, it will create a lot of existential dread. But I think that's with anything you really love. If you pour your heart into it it will cause you a lot of pain in a lot of many, in many ways, but hopefully at the end of the day, you know, when you walk away from it, you can go, wow, I, you know, we're really putting something out there. Or I feel like that with the podcast, you know, we've had ups and downs at the pod here and there, but there's times we just got a message from someone and it was just like, it was amazing. And it, and I was just like, yeah, you know, you really got to put things in perspective sometimes. So if you, if you enjoy writing, go for it, you know, but just don't let, don't let, criticism get you down yeah well and don't I've, do it as a career just do it as a skill because it's hard to make a living on it yeah it's a good skill to have <laughs> yeah and the pressure just builds and builds and builds and living on <laughs> the idea of ideas is fucking terrifying um do tiktok tiktok's much better use of your time it's really good um ivan prushnuk asks i have another brett arnold request could you get him on the desperation book or uh, the garris at ad- tv adaptation look Brett is <laughs> a good friend of the pod. Uh, he was actually supposed to be on our Creep Show Halloween special. Um, uh, he will be back on many episodes coming up. I'll, I'll see if he wants to do Desperation. I don't, I don't know if he's into that book. Uh, maybe he's tweeted about it. I, I, I didn't catch it, but uh, it would be very funny if I go to him and be like, "Hey, Brett, I want you on this episode for Desperation." And he has no idea what the book is. I just would would cackle about that. But oh you know. man, I gotta anyway. read. I gotta start reading that. I know, desperation. Yeah. I gotta, I mean, I gotta start reading uh, yeah. Green Mile. Are you guys doing that? I, oh, man, I wish I was on that one. Well, Green uh, Mile's next. Uh, yeah, that's sometime that this month, right? At the end of the month? 
Yeah, it's in two yes. weeks. We got to record, so I got to start. Not reading very, it this it's not weekend. a very long book, though. No, it's not. It's and I've I, I've I know most of the differences in the book too. So yeah, um, we'll read the next one. It's our first from Facebook. Mac Misty Torres writes, "I'm always curious about unwritten sequels. How many are you aware of? I'd have loved a Misery sequel or even Pet Cemetery. I personally am not aware of any." unwritten sequels that king had floating out there am i missing something obvious i the only one i i've heard over the past like few years is uh is that everyone there's been a lot of rumors online that he's been working on a sequel to it now a lot of them are Wait, un- you can't un- like a screenplay to the like no it i'm movies, talking like or? the book like a sequel to the book oh, um, like, like 30 lot- years later deal yeah, and oh. which you know, it's been more sense. than thirty years, <laughs> yeah. so it makes sense. But I don't, I don't know. A lot of it's, I, I mean, it's obviously unsubstantiated, and it's really hard to tell. You know, it's not like Hollywood where you can kind of get leads on like contracts and stuff. Like this is just literally like something that would maybe be in his den. But I, I don't put it against him. I, 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 I or put it past him. Um, it's something that certainly would make sense. I think it was, you know, it's a book that seemed to encapsulate his uh his, his statement on horror which of which he clearly didn't walk away from altogether so maybe this could be his way of kind of you know you know building on those thoughts again um in terms of a another a loose sequel i'd like another dance macabre like if he did something you know about today's modern horror i think that would be kind of fun or maybe he did like another update of it but um yeah i don't know it would there, be really interesting else, to see though. what he yeah. would pick for that too yeah because he's yeah. he's he likes a lot of random stuff. Uh, maybe maybe we see Boss show up on there. Um, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know of any other sequels or unwritten sequels that uh, that have been bandied yeah. around. I mean, I personally would love to see a sequel to, to, to Tommy Knocker. <laughs> <laughs> you just want um, a Thanksgiving sequel, is what you want. And we've also talked about a sequel to Cooge, where Cooge uh, possesses another dog um and uh becomes more of like a a goofy-esque character who can speak and uh just kind of lives in a neighborhood (laughs) oh you mean a literal goofy like disney goofy (laughs) yeah like going from pluto to goofy like like he is now a sentient being yes a sentient being and and also learn how to ski and uh play basketball (laughs) and he's an architect and you know uh, has a sleep problem and you know he's walking around buildings and um, no, actually, you know, so, I would love to see like a strange Dead Zone sequel. Yeah, where Johnny's cool. son is, you know, kind of like. <laughs> I mean, it could work. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, that sounds like it could go all kinds of wrong. But I just love that world. I wish I did too. It's 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 kind of like the whole simplicity simplicity uh, um, aspect of a lot of those earlier novels where mm-hmm. I just feel more at home in those early King novels. They just feels more grounded and more real to me than latter King stuff. But um, but yeah, I would love to see a sequel to any of that stuff. I think you could easily do a sequel to like Salem's Lot or something. Oh yeah, you know? I mean those vampires yeah. are still out there. You know, like let's see something, like do something completely new. I still want that Ellie Creed sequel and I have it all in my head and I know that Mary Lambert wants to do it. So Steven, do it. Flieger, what would you want? I mean, what's what's the sequel that's um, other yeah, than I Dark Tower? Heard, I haven't heard any rumors, but uh, I actually like the Institute. 
uh, which came out a couple of years ago, and I'd like to see that, which is basically like a prison for psychic children. But we know that across the different dimensions and paths of the beam, these can exist. So there's presumably these kind of schools all over. So I don't know. I don't think that would be great, but maybe debtor zone, like Mac was The saying. debtor zone, yeah. <laughs> the debtor zone or yeah. the stands. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's go to our next question. Matt Dinges asks, assuming it's bound to happen sometime, what will be the first book to naturally go out of print due to a lack of demand rather than King's decision? I mean, nothing really goes out of print these days just because of Amazon and everything. But I feel like a book like, uh, I mean, lack Selk, of demand. I think we named it earlier. I think Roadwork. Yeah, Roadwork would, is Roadwork was my answer. Roadwork would be, but I, I think like if you're really looking at, because I've seen that book pop up a bunch in shelves. The ones that I don't really see a lot are like, the cycle of the werewolf is pretty much non-existent sometimes unless you find it in the used bookstores i feel um and then also like talisman I, I feel like i never really see that as much um i feel like that stretch of books are like kind of like or maybe even well i guess eyes of the dragon had a reissue too but i, I, I could like, see like cell maybe because i thought cell t- yeah i had the cell fact that they movie. made the movie and that no one even remembers a ton it's also archaic it. now so it's like yeah it, it's because like Rage was taken know. out. I could see that one willfully. Uh, no, that's actually out of print because he didn't want to encourage school shooters, um, which seems kind of weird. But mm-hmm. um, right. yeah, I think Roadwork would be mine or Cell. Maybe Dreamcatcher. I don't. But I, I think I, wrote, like, he's I always did write Dreamcatcher because, up there, but I don't know. I haven't read it yet, so I can't say. Yeah, I just heard. I, but that I think a lot of people, don't people like that it. get into him. You start. It's like a drug where you keep wanting another hit, another hit. So eventually, like people seem like they do want to consume his entire catalog. So I don't think they'll ever completely go out of print. I don't either. I don't either. I mean, there's just so much money to be made. So True. why would it let? Why would any of these publishers let it go out of print? But we'll see. Um, I'll do the next one. Yeah, uh, go for it. Jeff Clancy writes: If Pennywise was presented as primarily anything other than a clown, do you think it would still be the iconic novel that it is? Um, I think this novel would still be great, but you can't separate the clown. I mean, can you take the shark out of Jaws or, you know, the DeLorean out of Back to the Future? These are just the things that the first image you get when you think of it, it's got to be the clown. Um, I think they could have done other scary things, but I don't know if it would have hit. And I think the idea, too, of the novel that adults and children, there's a breakdown of communication. So while an adult thinks a clown is good for kids, most kids find clowns very scary, right? And I think that speaks yeah. a lot to what the children are going through. So I, I don't think it would be as iconic with anything other than a clown. I mean, he takes several other forms, but you still think of it as Pennywise the clown, right? What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think that the fear of killer clowns is is something that kids relate to, is one of the reasons why it carried on for so many years. But I do think that if they, if it was something else, I don't know what it would be. Um, if it was more of like an entity or a shapeshifter or something like that, and they did the adaptation in 2017 and it was coming off as Stranger Things. I think it would still have some sort of like resonance there. But I do think the idea of killer clowns being this ubiquitous fear of children is a big deal. Like, I, I think that is like yeah. the staying power of it. Like, Yeah, I also think that it kind of stems from the like the original idea. It, because wasn't there actual, there were a lot of actual killer clowns popping up around the time. Well, John Wayne Gacy uh, was yeah. a killer clown. Right, and, and I feel like the idea, I mean, once you start reading the book, I think the thing that's more 
frightening is just the idea that it can take the form of what you fear the most rather than because then then it then it hits everybody in a different way it doesn't matter what his stationary presence is it just happened to be like that clown was scary i I know a lot of people that actually don't think the clown is very scary or i've watched Mm -hmm. the miniseries this the original miniseries and not found tim curry to be frightening which is which is bizarre to me i don't understand that but um but that they don't necessarily find the clown frightening but when he is the other things or like bev's father or even like the Wolfman, and I and I think that if it wasn't the clown that it peeped at, he probably would have pivoted more to to leaning on the universal monster trope and having him become the each different universal monster for the kids. They were all afraid of one of those monsters, and it would have become a little bit more of that kind of a deal. But um, I don't think it would have been as iconic. I mean, it's easy to say that now, but I I don't know because maybe. It was the writing and it wasn't the clown. You know, maybe it, it, it could have been like, you know, a, you know, like a Mr. Fluffy or something from. Could have been Slenderman. I mean, yeah, this idea that, you know, I mean? like, you know, that would be kind of scary. I mean, for yeah. me, that would be more scary than a clown. I, I've never been really scared of Pennywise. I've always been more affected by like the town of Derry and whatnot. But I don't know. as an adult, yeah, the town scared the hell out of me as a kid. I was like, oh, why isn't why they're they're trying to cut Ben? Why isn't that old man trying to help them? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I did. I didn't quite understand that the town was all kind of seated in evilness, but yeah, yeah. Ah, love that book. Well, let's uh, let's go to the next question, and I'm uh, I'm going to leave it to Flieger to try to read this uh, username uh, Twitter user Boom One Die by Die One. Boom. <laughs> It's boom bitty bye bye, boom bitty bye bye. There we go. Ooh. Yeah, sorry, it's got a mix of alphanumeric. Uh, very good, <laughs> Mac. Why don't you read the questions? Because <laughs> I cracked the code. Yeah. I don't even know if that's really it. Cell was the first King novel that I flat out didn't like. Mister Mercedes was the one was one of my favorites. Do you think Cy King's crime thriller publications revitalized his love of writing? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of that kind of thing um i actually like the mr mercedes uh uh, series on tv but i haven't read a lot of these but i know a lot of people don't aren't fans but i definitely think that absolutely he became very interested in writing and is writing a lot of this kind of these kind of novels now um i mean i don't necessarily love that I, i wish he was more horror driven as he's been in the past but if it means that he's going to crank out three or four novels a year and one of them happens to be like a good horror story, then write all the crime you want, King, you know? Yeah. I, I think it gave him purpose, you know? Um, for a while there in the aughts, he was kind of struggling. Uh, I mean, a lot of people love McKee and, you know, Cell, I guess, it got him back in the headlines for being like the sort of um, elevator pitch horror again. But I don't think it was until like Under the Dome and... Eleven twenty two sixty three. that he started really kind of turning heads critically again. But then you can argue that both of those ideas have roots in the 70s because they were all manuscripts that he was working on around that time, which is probably why a lot of those those works like really kind of resonate a lo- like in the on the same level as a lot of those 70s publications. But, you know, with his pivot into true crime, you get the sense that like it's a new avenue for him. It's something that he enjoys reading himself and now he's writing it. My issue, it's something that, that Caffrey shares and something that we've talked about a lot, especially on the If It Bleeds episodes, 
is the idea that like we're both worried that like he's never going to write another just straightforward horror, like horror novel. Um, and I, and I, and I get it that what he's trying to do with his true crime writing is kind of bring some of his roots into the genre. And I don't think it really works. I, I think the Outsiders probably the closest. And I, even then I think that that book has its problems. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, it, it, I think, yes, it's revitalized his love for writing, but I also don't think it's led to his best writing. That's where I'll leave at it. But, Fleer, what do you think? Um, I've only read Finder's Keepers, which is, like, out of order, because uh, I was traveling, actually, with Dan Caffrey, and I just couldn't sleep. And I was like, what are you reading? Give it to me. And I just started reading it. So <laughs> give it to me now. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, not, I'm also not the biggest true crime fan. Like, I love reading about, like, mafia and serial killers, but I'm a little oversaturated with true crime. If he's enjoying writing this, that's great. I know one day I'm going to read through all the Mr. Mercedes, but I also, I kind of want the ghost. I like the horror. I'm not as into mystery yeah. or thriller novels. It's just, if I'm going to do those, there's other avenues and I don't know. I, I just give me the monsters. Yeah. I want the yeah. monsters. I want the big monsters. Give me, give me I a agree. Godzilla book, King. Um, Ooh, <laughs> that would actually be great. I'd be into that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Do you want to take the next one? Mike? Sure. Uh, Sigh of Relief writes, If King were to dip his ink into the superhero genre in the form of a book, what form do you think it would take? I think it would be like Chronicle. It would be very like, you know, um, I mean, I think it'd be first person. It would be like, slowly becomes the superhero but it, it, it but not pretentiously and not you know overtly i think it just like slowly you start to realize it's sort of picking up on the tropes i would liken it to um <laughs> what is that <laughs> what is that goosebumps book uh monster blood the haunted no, mask no 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 the uh, hero one the uh where haunted he did, dummy i think the kid <laughs> don't look now a superhero Oh, I know you're am talking I, am about. Am I wrong? Yeah. I, I might be totally hey. wrong. <laughs> Anyways, I, I just had to mention Goosebumps at some point. But uh, yeah, I, I, I oh, think Oh, Attack of the be, Mutant? Yeah, Attack of the Mutant. But I don't think that that's the premise of that at all. But I, I do... <laughs> now <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Harry but I Potter. do think it'd be kind of like a Chronicle-esque thing where... Or or even like... Um, uh, what, what is that movie that just came out recently that was like a horror... Brightburn. Oh, Brightburn. Brightburn. Oh, Brightburn. I think it would yeah. be like a, a take on a, a superhero story we all know, like Spider-Man or something, but then it goes, it's, but it's really, it goes really wrong and bad. And I think that would be really cool. Actually, I think that would actually be really, really I good think idea if you did do Spider-Man. Because if you actually became a spider, kind of like yeah. fly, I think it would be kind of really cool. I think you do like kind of Amazon and the boys. Like I, I really do think you would have that sort of ensemble. Um I mean, I think he, he he could go either way. I mean, I think he could maybe pivot to the ensemble small town or try to do it with the stand. Like, I would love to see him do like a, a stand level novel that's like like steeped into superheroes, but like old fashioned superhero lore. I'm talking like when you read it, you picture like images by like Ralph Ralph Macquarie or something like that, like the the old school superhero, Ooh, not yeah. like the new stuff where it's like you know so cynical and stuff like that, but like. I think it would be interesting to see how he would kind of take on that parable. But at the same time, I'm so done with superheroes that I just don't care. Like, yeah. you know, I'm on my last leg with it. Like I, I didn't even watch the boys because I was so exhausted from the superhero thing. 
and I feel like this is kind of fresh, but I'm like, I really don't know where you go after this. Um, at this point, I think we're at like the post post superhero thing. I think Stephen King doing a comic would have to be in the vein of, uh, Garth Ennis, whether it's, uh, or Ennis, whatever you pronounce it, uh, in the vein of like preacher, the boys, but I also think there'd be such an expectation on him to do something dark and twisted. And I just don't know that you can do a whole lot with the superhero genre. So yeah, let's just keep Joe Hill on the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, well, there's one more last what if, uh, and I love this question because I love playing producer's chair. It's one of my favorites. I have a column on Consequence of Sound mm-hmm. that I go to occasionally. But uh, our final question uh, from Rudolph D. French on Twitter asks, uh, who would you cast, write, dir- and direct a King biopic? Would you go more surreal or grounded? I'd cast Paul Dano with Coen Brothers writing and directing. Curious what Stephen King would say. Chloe Sevigny as Tabitha would be my choice, by the way. Happy Halloween. <laughs> well, hey, happy Halloween, Rudolph. Uh, it was a great time. And, you know, as we mentioned before, it was a, it was a happy Halloween. But uh, I think when you're doing this, uh, for me, just just answer right off the bat, like I love surreal uh, biopics. I don't like the more just, you know, straightforward stuff. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. if you did this, I think you really need someone who understands King's work and, you know, and we've only seen that done a handful of times, uh, on screen, you know, by, you know, Reiner and Flanagan and Darabont and automatically Reiner's out of the picture cause he hasn't made a good movie and God knows when. Um, and I, it, 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 and the problem is, is that as much as I love Darabont, he would probably go with more of a straightforward film. Um, which I just think would be a chore. Like, I think it would just be boring. Like, I, I don't think it would be good. It would just be kind of hallmarky. And like, I feel like you really need to have some style and substance. And I do think that, you know, Flanagan would probably be really good in kind of doing the, the, the weaving around and the nonlinear fashion. But I just think he's a little too close to Stephen King for it to be honest. Cause you really want the biopic to be honest and, 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 and cutthroat when it needs to be cutthroat and, you know, and yada, yada, yada. Um, I just watched, I mentioned earlier, I just watched Fincher's uh, Mank, um, you know, which is the writer, uh, but Herman uh, Mankiewicz, who uh, actually wrote mm-hmm. Citizen Kane. And there's so much style and there's so much finesse and there's so much substance. And it's actually told the same way that Citizen Kane is. So it kind of really shows how he came up with the idea for Citizen Kane. It's fucking great. Um, and it's not like A to Z and it's, it's great. So I think you'd want someone critical but you want someone honest and you want somebody that's observant, but I think you really need to get someone so totally removed. So that's kind of what I ultimately concluded. So racking my brain on all the filmmakers who have done something interesting with the biopic and, and who could also be realistic for this project. Cause I don't want to just put on like Spike Jones and like, you know, Charlie Kaufman, they would never do this. I landed on Ben Affleck because not only is he a Warner brothers staple, but he also had ties to the stand and he really knows the area that Stephen King grew up in. I mean, he's from that area. He he gets King. I feel like he would do great. He did awesome, I thought, with Argo. Um, and he knows how to adapt, you know, with Gone Baby Gone. Uh, so I'd pair him again with his uh, Gone Baby Gone co-screenwriter, uh, um, Aaron Stockard. And I would get Ar- his Argo co-star, Scoot McNary, uh, to play Stephen King. So that is, oh man, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's not bad. So I, I, I thought good. a long time, I, I was going through all these biopics and 
trying to think of different ones, but I, I like when I saw Affleck, well, I thought of Affleck, and I was like, "Fuck, that would be perfect." And he would make it. He would be grounded, but I think he could do some surreal stuff with it too. Um, but yeah, what do you guys got? Um, can I do mine? Then? Yeah, go for it, Dan. Um, so in terms of director, I was trying to think of great biopics I've seen, and I mean, I think David Fincher's Social Network was really good. Yeah. It, it took a subject that we thought was not going to be that interesting and made it one of the best movies of the decade. Um, I also think he has that darkness and maybe the serious tone that Flanagan might, I mean, not that he's not serious, but you know what I mean? Like it's a little bit different. Uh, I think Flanagan's are a little more warm and mm-hmm. Fincher's are a little more cold and I think that might be nice. Um, also the uh, Denis Villeneuve, I think he might be interesting just because I think he's a great director. Um, in terms of playing Stephen King, though, I've actually thought John Carroll Lynch would be a good uh, version because uh, he's pretty big. I think he's like six foot four. You, you know him. He's from like Fargo and like yeah. uh, The Invitation. I, I just think he's a great actor, and I think he could really channel uh, the man himself. Interesting. That would be that would be very interesting. And Carroll Lynch is such a presence too. But um, Mac, what do you what do you think? Uh, directorial wise, I. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no clue. That that's tough. I, I originally had Darabont, but that's just that's such a phone in answer, you know. Um I, I let me I gotta think about that a little bit more, but I like I like the idea of something that is kind of blends it's not just a straight biopic, but it is something that blends like like I would love the idea of like Stephen King writing, but then like these things like as he's writing it, like the world's building around him and he's kind of like living in that world. And then, you know, as he he moves from book to book and he's kind of like in those environments Um, and you can kind of take a a, a comedic aspect to it. And personally, I think it would be fun to see. I love when you get comedic actors and you put them in serious roles. And I I think like putting like, like Tim Heidecker as King and, and uh, Lena Dunham (laughs) as Tabitha or something, you know what I mean? Like just like weird off the wall, like, I like you would never necessarily peg them to do that, but yeah. I think it would give them give people people a chance to like to do that. I could even see I could even see Owen Teague throw, throw you know yeah. gain some gain some weight Teague and get, grow a beard. And I think you know I just gives give it to a hungry actor that's willing to kind of go there. Yeah. Um, but like directorial wise, I'm trying to think of like even just films in general that kind of blur that line of reality. I don't know. Even like Damien Chazelle or something. Like I I think I thought of Chazelle too. Yeah. Yeah. First man and stuff. Yeah. I think like if you, if you don't just do it like straight laced and and you, you add that element of fantasy to it. uh, I think it could be really, really interesting and fun. And I think it would just be, especially the years where he was, dealing with drug problems and stuff. I think you could do some really scary stuff there, mm-hmm. especially with the novels he was writing at that time. You know what I mean? I think that would be really cool to see those things kind of paralleled. And um, I don't know what King like, would think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think you have to like, stay I'm away not from there him. where they yeah, have like exactly. multiple actors playing Bob Dylan, maybe different books or phases of his life. You can have different actors come in. Um, be cool. I'm sure he would actually be for that because you can cast, oh. you know, not just actors that look like him. And I think he would be down with that. Mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam, yeah. Oh, that I was thought about Terry cool. Gilliam too. And I, I wasn't sure, but I was like, it would I just mean, probably that, never get off the ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would never, it would never be made. Those. Yeah, yeah. I like those. Yeah, this is these are all exi- exciting. I, I like the idea of living in it in his books. 
and just being like a care and like actually just yeah. living there. Um, almost like I also had front runners for King. I had Zach Efron <laughs> and Alden Heinrich. <laughs> I love it. Get solo himself. Uh, God. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, finding a king was actually kind of a struggle. I mean, because obviously, like, Joe Hill looks just like him. So, you know, that could work out. Does he got the acting chops? I actually think, I know. Show. I know. That's, they, they threw Paul Dano out there, and I, I actually think that that's a pretty good. That's a good one. That's good. I would even say, I mean, because you have to do it without being cartoonish, and I think that Paul Dano could probably do that. Or even um, Jim Carrey. Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe could, yeah. I think. I, mean, would, I don't think he has the stature. He does, he, though, I think like, he does comedy pretty well, and give him like a full beard and the goofy hair. I think you he have would, to wear like razors like though, because I, I I think of Stephen King as this big, almost like Tony Soprano sized guy. Well, you could do like um, Lord of the Rings perspective stuff. So maybe we get <laughs> Peter Jackson to do yeah, just force perspectives. Stephen King's eleven feet tall. What was Peter Jackson's last movie? Was it King Kong? <laughs> No, what was it? It wasn't. Uh, was it was it? the Hobbit. The Hobbit movie. He was produced. Oh, the Hobbits, no, he, no, he did the Hobbit movies. I think. I he think step in. He could. He wasn't hundred percent behind it. He was no. It was uh, supposed I to be Del Toro. Toro. I think it was and supposed then, to be Del Toro, and then yeah. he ended up just doing them because Del Toro wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Uh, I think. I think Jackson needs to come back and do something. I think he would do a real fun. Uh, only give him a certain amount of money. Box him in, and I think he'd get really creative with it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Just move all the actors to Maine for three years. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Get Elijah Wood to play King, um, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Uh, King. <laughs> uh, God. Well, I think it's about time that we tie up this bag and mosey on out of here. Um, but the good news, constant listeners, is that we have so much in store for you this month. Uh, we have a special Supernatural episode coming up. We've uh, we're recording a brand new Souls Midnight for next week. Uh, it's going to be all about uh, urban legends in music history. A lot of cool stuff. And we got some really awesome uh, guests on there for that one. Um, we're going to be recording our first commentary track for 1976's Carrie. It's going to begin our chronological commentary track coverage, which uh, we love it so much at the the Halloweenies that it seemed natural that we would do it for the Losers Club. So uh, get excited to have us talk all over your favorite movies. Um, and then you've waited a long time. But we're finally heading to the mile, baby. So uh, uh, get green and start reading. Um, I need to start reading for Christ's sake. Jesus. Yeah, people have been clamoring for that green yeah. mile episode yeah. since we started. And uh, yeah. finally, they we, they can get them to shut up and <laughs> yeah. we'll put this out. In January 2017, we launched our Facebook. The first message is, when's the mile? And we're like, what? The mile. No, no, I like a, the calling of the mile. Yeah, no, there's, not, there's no way. It's. It, I feel it's still a fan favorite, though. So, um I don't know. Exciting. Yeah, you know, I dug the movie. Um, I do too. I'm interested in reading the, the book. I don't think I'm on the book, but uh, I'm definitely going to try to read it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's spoiler. It's good. It's a fun. Um, lots of stuff on the way, which is why you should always stay connected with us. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Oh, my. Uh, it's always uh, can't stop, won't stop with this club. And if uh, this all rings a bell to you, it's because this is literally the ending script that I had for the Halloween steps or the Halloween episode last week. So um, <laughs> sorry, this sounds all redundant to you, but uh, I guess I just lied. But uh, um, anyway, all the same, we want you to follow us on socials and we want you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we've been getting some really good ones. And I think that this uh, spiel at the end of all these episodes is working because we have been getting some five bright red Pennywise clown noses and we like to read them. 
So please, 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 please keep uh, giving us reviews if you haven't. Um, and uh, because look, we deserve and we are your favorite. We are your devoted and we are your only losers club. Um, that's it for me. Is that it for everyone else here? Think so. All right. Well, until then, we'll be seeing you uh, over long days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. All right. Have a good one. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you Consequence Podcast Network.